Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Round two. 14 days after hosting a super spreader event at the White House, the president is back on stage. I'm feeling great. I don't know about you. How is everyone feeling? But as his party frets over his campaign, he's swinging from wild accusations to unfounded promises. Can President Trump turn things around? Top White House advisor Larry Kudlow and Biden deputy campaign chair Kate Bedingfield join me. And Supreme Showdown. With senators set to begin hearings for the president's high court pick, Democrats are promising a fight. We will use every tool in the toolbox. But might that backfire? Judiciary Committee Democrat Senator Maisie Hirono is next. Plus, hunker down. COVID cases rising as the U.S. enters a key period. Can we avoid a wave of more deaths? I'd like to say that everything is going to be great by Thanksgiving, but honestly, I'm not so sure it is. I'll ask Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson ahead. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is stunned at the recklessness. Late Saturday, President Trump's doctors released a new letter clearing the president to return to a public schedule, saying he has met the CDC criteria to leave isolation and is, quote, no longer considered a transmission risk to others, unquote. The doctor said the president is 10 days from the onset of symptoms and has been fever-free for more than 24 hours. The doctor did not disclose critical information, such as whether the president is off all fever-reducing medication, whether he has any remaining symptoms, and whether the president has tested negative for the virus. Now, that's not part of the CDC criteria to leave isolation, but it's still important information. And on that subject, we still do not know when the president last tested negative before catching the virus and potentially spreading it. The doctor's letter came hours after the president delivered a speech to a crowd of supporters on the White House South Lawn, largely wearing masks, thankfully, though they were packed together. The president, after possibly spreading the virus, continues to spread lies about it, telling the crowd that the virus is, quote, disappearing, which is tragically far from the truth. Infections, in fact, are increasing. With only 23 days until the election and a lot of ground to make up, the president seems to be scrambling. He's returning to campaign rallies tomorrow, despite the recent outbreak in his campaign and his White House, and sending Capitol Hill and markets reeling over confusing messages on a potential new coronavirus stimulus package. Joining me now to talk about that package, the president's top economic advisor, Larry Kudlow. Larry, good to see you as always. So let's talk about the stimulus. To counter the Democrats' $2.2 trillion proposal, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin offered a $1.8 trillion proposal, but more than 20 Republican senators privately blasted that as a betrayal, a death knell. We're 23 days from Election Day. Is the stimulus deal dead? Well, no, I don't think it's dead at all. I spoke to Secretary Mnuchin last evening. Look, don't forget, uh, Republicans in the Senate put up their own bill a few weeks ago and got 53 votes, I think it was. So they united. I think if an agreement can be reached, uh, they will go along with it. Look, the the issue here, and I don't understand this, uh, my Democratic friends, Speaker Pelosi and so forth, 
We're asking for some targeted areas of assistance that would help this recovery. It is a V-shaped recovery, but there are key areas that could help. One, let's add on to unemployment assistance. The president's executive order is not going to go forever. Two, everybody, I mean everybody in the world, wants additional uh, loans to small business. They will be forgivable loans, the so-called PPP uh, program. Uh, those are things that everybody absolutely wants. Number three, the president is in favor of direct mail checks to provide, again, some more temporary economic assistance. We are in a very strong rebound. I hope we get to that later. But the fact is, these are simple things. They have bipartisan support. We could do it as standalone bills or an omnibus bill or whatever, but I do not understand the uh, intransigence from my Democratic friends. Well, I'm not talking about your Democratic friends. I'm talking about 20 Senate Republicans who were mad at Secretary Mnuchin and saying that the proposal of $1.8 trillion was way too much. They called it a death knell. I think that was Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee called it a death knell. I guess the big question is going forward, you have to get th something through the House and the Senate. Are you willing to pass a relief bill without a support without support from a majority of Senate Republicans. In other words, you get the majority of Democrats in the House, you get Democrats in the Senate and maybe 10 or 20 Republicans in the Senate, and then it goes to the president's desk. Would he be willing to sign that? Well, look, um, I, I don't want to get into the specific legislative strategy, Jake, but I will say from the president's remarks late last week, uh, he's happy on the key targeted areas that I mentioned, small business loans, unemployment, and so forth, he would actually go beyond what some of the Democratic numbers are. He may not do it for the entire package, but for those key targeted areas that would truly help the recovery, uh, by the way, get kids back to school and reopen businesses. I think if we could get this thing settled on the Democrat side, we will get it settled on the Republican side. There will still be further efforts at negotiation, uh, perhaps today, but certainly this coming week. So I don't think we really, uh, the D's are holding this thing up. Look, it's just a question of this. It's not so much the election per se. I know this is the political season. I get that. It's just getting Americans through a difficult period of time. We've seen a flood of blockbuster improvement numbers across the board on the economy. But there's really no reason mm -hmm. why we can't add to that right. some additional assistance in the next three months. And I think you can get a deal. I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, Secretary Mnuchin, very dear friend of mine, as you know, he's a very good negotiator. Let's see what he and Speaker Pelosi come up with. But you agree that a stimulus package needs to pass. There needs to be one, right? And, and you're hoping to do it in the next three weeks. I don't think, Jake, I mean, I don't want to parse, but I, I don't think the recovery is dependent on it. Look, we've had uh, That's not what the Fed chair says. job increases. Well, Fed shares essentially, I think, saying the same thing. Targeted assistance would be a good idea. But look, we've seen numbers across the board just in the past week. Booming housing starts, um, supply managers for manufacturing uh, and for services. Uh, we've seen automobiles surging. Uh, we've seen manufacturing. We think right. we created a new 700,000 jobs in manufacturing. These are really strong numbers. Inventories have to be rebuilt. Mark Zandi says, about 30 Mark Zandi of Moody says that if a stimulus bill isn't passed soon, the uh, administration, I mean, I'm sorry, the country is going to start shedding jobs again. 
Well, Mark is a friend of mine, but he's always a naysayer when it comes to Republican policies. I will say this, the Atlanta Fed's GDP now model is showing 35 percent. That's a, for the third quarter. That's a big number. A blue chip consensus, private blue chip forecasters, I think, moved up to 29 percent. We would be thrilled with plus 20 percent in the second half of the year. My point is this. We are in a strong rebound. Lower taxes and lower yeah. regulations going way back are still in place and businesses are reopening. We are learning to deal with the virus in a targeted, safe, prevented way. So no, not. I, it's not dependent. All I'm saying is a little some targeted assistance would go a long way. Right we're not now. we're not learning to live with the virus, Larry. The, the, we just had four days in a row of more than 50,000 infections. The death rate is the highest in the world. But let, let's focus on the, the economic aspect, because that's your area of expertise. I guess one. I of just want to say, yeah, just Jake, one, Jake, one, just one second. I want to clarify living with the virus. Look, uh, 5000 experts just signed a petition. Uh, led by people from Harvard, Stanford, Oxford University. These are scientists, these are doctors, these are healthcare workers who say, we can deal with this virus going on while we're getting new therapies, we're getting new vaccines are coming around. It's not just living with the virus. As long as we protect the most yeah. vulnerable, as long as we preserve the key guidelines, yes, we can get through this. We are not going to shut down the whole economy. No, nobody, again. There is no reason for that. We will take care of the vulnerable. That's the key point. Well, there's so much that you just said. But again, I had you on to talk about the economy, not not, not health care matters in terms of obeying <laughs> okay. by the key guidelines. Okay. I mean, you might want to tell the guy in the building behind you, but that's a separate issue. Uh, let's talk about President Trump and the stimulus package, OK, because President Trump, frankly, has been all over the map on his position. He halted talks completely. But then I want you to take a listen to what the president said on Friday about the size of this stimulus bill. I would like to see a bigger stimulus package, frankly, than either the Democrats or the Republicans are offering. So that's the president saying he wants a bigger package. Speaker Pelosi is currently offering a $2.2 trillion deal. The president wants a bigger package than that. Uh, so are you Secretary Mnuchin now going to try to offer a bigger deal than a $2.2 trillion proposal? He, he may. He may. Uh Secretary Mnuchin is up to $1.8 trillion, uh, so the bid and the offer is uh, narrowing somewhat between the two sides. President Trump actually has always said, I mean, I've heard him say it in the Oval, um, as far as the key elements are concerned, the checks, the unemployment assistance, the small business assistance, we've got to help airlines out, he would go further. He's always said that. Uh, he knows that we need as much power for economic recovery as possible. It's not just recovery in three weeks. It's recovery to the end of the year and beyond in a possible second term. So I think uh, Secretary Mnuchin, who's a very good negotiator, will be carrying the president's message. So, but Larry, I mean, a, a consultant to uh, an advisor to uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told The Washington Post that he thinks any deal that's in the range of $2 trillion, Mnuchin's at $1.8 trillion, Pelosi's at $2.2 trillion, and you just said it's possible that Mnuchin and Trump will have a proposal of more than $2.2 trillion. But McConnell's aide says that they think there will only be 10 Republican votes in the Senate for anything in the neighborhood of $2 trillion. So how do you get it passed? That's the question. You've already lost most of the Republicans in the Senate. 
Well, if you don't know who we've lost, uh, there are a lot of permutations and combinations. There's a lot of commentary. I get that, Jake. I'm not going to sit here and negotiate or say this is okay, that's not okay. That's Mr. Mnuchin's uh, role, as well as Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who's also an excellent negotiator. I'm just saying we are putting our best foot forward on the table. We have been offering compromise after compromise. We've already passed a Republican bill in the Senate. Now we've raised the ante on some just key targeted points, not everything else. We're not talking about giveaways to state and local. Uh, fixing pension funds, harvesting mail ballots, uh, assistance to illegal immigrants that have nothing to do with COVID or the yeah. economy. Let's see what happens. I'm not going to negotiate today. Let's see what happens. Uh, let's turn to the event at the White House uh, with hundreds of people not social distancing on the White House lawn, though they were wearing masks, thankfully. I want you to take a listen to what Dr. Fauci said this week about that Rose Garden event for Judge Barrett on September 26. The data speak for themselves. We had a super spreader event in the White House, and it was in a situation where people were crowded together and were not wearing masks. So the data speak for themselves. President Trump himself has said he may have contracted the virus at, quote, big events at the White House. But now the president's hitting the campaign trail. Florida tomorrow, Pennsylvania, Iowa. How is this not a risk to the health, if not lives, of your own supporters? Well, look at... um you know, on that big do in the White House lawn, the operations people signed off on it. Uh, I have great respect for Dr. Uh, Tony Fauci, who's a longtime friend of mine. Uh, I'm not the medical scientist. Here's what I know. Uh, as you said at the top today, uh, Dr. Sean Conley, or last night, released a document that said the president is healthy, he's abided by the CDC, he is no longer contagious. I think that fits the bill. Uh, I have not seen the president uh, in the last few days. I have spoken to him on the phone. Uh, a lot of people have been with him, said he's fine, he's peppy, he's been smart again, and he really is uh, in healthy condition. So it seems like the conditions are being met, and he will, uh, he will go on ahead. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm expressing concern about his supporters' health. At, his supporters' health. I mean, you're in I Connecticut, and let me say, Larry, as somebody who likes you and wants you to live a long, long life, I hope that you stay safe. I don't know that the people at the White House are as concerned about people who work at the White House and Trump's own supporters as I am. It's not safe to have big rallies. Well, I appreciate it, Jake, uh, what you said earlier. It's very kind. Um, look, at, uh, there will be masks at these rallies. There will be uh, social distancing at these rallies. There will be appropriate testing. You know, a lot of these places you get tested on the way in. Most of all, we have to stick to the hygiene issues, uh, washing your hands and face and so forth. These things can be done. We can do that. And that's what the experts have said. That's why I wanted to raise that Great Barrington Compromise document. It needs to see the light of day. It's like 5,000 okay. people that are saying basically what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think he can go through with it. I think his message, Jake, look, you know what? Yeah. Growth, we gotta, prosperity, we gotta go, abundance, optimism. Okay. Low taxes and low regulations will revive this economy. He did it once. He'll do it a second Larry, time. Larry, stay safe and stay healthy. Good to see you again. Thank you. Thank Hearings you. for the president's Supreme Court nominee start tomorrow. I'll ask what to expect from a Democratic senator who refused to meet with Judge Amy Coney Barrett coming up. Plus, the question that Democratic nominee Joe Biden is repeatedly, repeatedly refusing to answer, can he keep that up through Election Day? A top member of his campaign team is here next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. As people in dozens of states <clears throat> show up, 
to vote early, there are some encouraging signs for Democratic nominee Joe Biden's campaign, including a decision by President Trump this week to skip the second debate, one of his few remaining chances to shake up the race. Joining us now to discuss this and much more, Biden Deputy Campaign Manager Kate Bedingfield. Kate, thanks for joining us. The second presidential debate was officially, was officially canceled after the Trump campaign refused to participate in a town hall where the candidates would participate remotely. Uh, the Trump team instead proposed pushing back both debates a week so that they could be held in person. But your campaign rejected that. Now, look, I get that President Trump is being erratic, but shouldn't Vice President Biden bend over backwards to give the American people every opportunity to see the two candidates go head to head? Look, we agreed to three debates back in June, our campaign and Donald Trump's campaign. We have said that Joe Biden will show up on those dates that we agreed to. We are not going to let Donald Trump whipsaw around at the last second trying to rewrite the rules. We had every uh, intention of showing up on the 15th. He, Donald Trump, refused to participate in a virtual town hall. So we instead scheduled a national network televised town hall so that Joe Biden could take questions from voters. And we have every intention and every expectation that we'll be there on the 22nd as well. But we're not going to let Donald Trump write the rules. He doesn't get to set the calendar. The debate commission sets the calendar. We all agreed to these dates back in June. And we're not going to let him try to rewrite the rules at the last second. Look, he pulled out of the debate on the 15th. It's understandable. He doesn't want to have to answer questions from voters about his handling of COVID and the economy. Joe Biden would have been there. He's going to be there taking questions from voters that night. He'll be there on the 22nd. So the October 22nd, as you know, it would be the third debate. I guess now it would be the second in Nashville. Um, You told me the other day that you are trusting the Cleveland Clinic and the Commission on Presidential Debates to ensure that everyone at the next debate tests negative before entering the arena. You know, to be candid, they had that responsibility at the last debate, too, and we still don't know if the president was tested at all that day or in the previous week. So just to be clear here, you're not going to demand personally the campaign, the Biden campaign, to see proof of a negative test from President Trump before Vice President Biden goes on stage with him. You, you, you trust the commission. You trust the Cleveland Clinic. Well, we demand that the Cleveland Clinic and that the commission work that out. Obviously, it is extremely troubling what happened at the first debate. Uh, and our expectation, our, our demand of the Cleveland Clinic and, and of the commission is that, uh, that the Trump campaign and uh, everybody that they're bringing to the debate uh, you know, shows proof that they are negative. Now, we'll let the Cleveland Clinic and the commission work out exactly how that works. But obviously, we are not interested in creating another uh, moment where there's the potential for the spread of this virus. I mean, we've seen, unfortunately, look at the event at the White House on September 26th. Mm-hmm. We've seen what happens when the appropriate precautions are not put in place. And it's tragic. Uh, so we, you know, given how um, opaque this White House has been about uh, health information related to the president and everybody around him, uh, we are we are demanding unequivocally of the Cleveland Clinic and of the debate commission that they work out protocols to ensure that everybody who is at that debate is safe because we don't want to spread the virus further. Right. It's not just about the health of the people at the debate. It's about the health of everyone else they come into sure. contact with. And you have the White House, you know, refusing to commit to contact tracing from that event on the 26th. It's yeah. deeply troubling. They don't seem to be taking it seriously. Our demand is that the Cleveland Clinic and the debate commission uh, ensure that that debate is safe on the 22nd. So, Kate, Vice President Biden yesterday again refused to say where he stands on this question of adding justices to the Supreme Court. I want to play what he said. It's not constitutional what they're doing. We should be focused on what's happening right now. This court 
is being packed now by the Republicans after the vote has already begun. I'm going to stay focused on it so we don't take our eyes off the ball here. I want to get to the idea of adding justices to the court in a second, but he said it's not constitutional what they're doing. How is it not constitutional what they're doing? His point is that the people have an opportunity to weigh in on this constitutional process through their vote. And we are now in the midst of the election. Millions of people have already cast their votes. And you see that the vast majority of people say that they want the person who wins the election on November 3rd to nominate the justice. That's a poll. That's seat. not the Constitution. So by, by trying to by trying to that's that is their con there, there's the constitutional process of advising consent. The American people get to have their say by voting for president, by voting for senators. We are now 23 days from the election. Right, but it's not Again, unconstitutional. Millions of millions of votes, millions of votes. They're being voters are being denied their constitutional right to have a say in this process. They when elected the Republicans the Senate. are trying to ram through are trying to ram through a, a nominee who, by the way, is going to change the makeup of the court. And we see time and time again, poll after poll shows that most Americans vehemently disagree with this. They again, believe again, Kate, that's that the poll. vote should happen on November 3rd. That's not what the word constitutional that is the means. Cons that constitutional is the doesn't mean I like it, it or I don't like it. It means it's according to the U.S. Constitution. There's nothing unconstitutional about what the U.S. Senate is doing. They are being denied. The American people are being denied their opportunity to have a say in who gets this lifetime appointment to the court. The, the intention of the process here is for the American people to have a say in, in, in who uh, gets in, in who makes the nomination and okay. then who ultimately consents to the nomination. So, so and what the Republicans are trying to do is ram this through because they don't believe they have the electoral support. That's that is a problem and that they are going to try to change the makeup of the court in an effort to do that. Again, I, I, it's not unconstitutional. I get you don't like it, but it's not unconstitutional. But, but let me talk about the idea of adding justices to the court, which pre, which uh, Vice President Biden refuses to, to give his answer on. What's bizarre about it to me is that Biden has already answered this question on whether he supports expanding the court. Take a listen to him in 1983 and then again just a year ago. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. But it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make. I would not get into court packing. We, we had three justices. Next time around, we lose control. They had three justices. We began to lose any credibility for the court has at all. Biden opposes adding justices to the court. He has for decades. So why is he refusing to weigh in on it now? Because Donald Trump and the Republicans don't get to set the terms of this debate. I mean, this is a distraction that they want to throw out. This is a hypothetical that they want to throw out right now to distract from the fact that they are trying to ram through a nominee who, as I said, is going to change the makeup of the court against the will of the American people. They don't want to talk about that. So they are trying to create a distraction and, uh, you know, send folks down a rabbit hole talking about this when, uh, you know, what we should be focused on and what Joe Biden is focused on uh, is the vote on November 3rd and making sure that they don't have the opportunity to ram through a nominee uh, it's who not, is it's going not, to it's not you know, the be the deciding vote. It's not the Trump people who but invented look, this one, question, it, right? The idea of adding justices to the Supreme Court came from the progressive side of the Democratic Party. It's just a simple question. He has long been against adding justices to the court. Has he changed his mind or does he have the same position he's had since at least 1983?
But look, see, I think you only have to look at how hard, for example, Vice President Pence wanted to go at this in the debate last week, rather than answer a question about what his administration would do to protect pre-existing conditions. Uh, that, to me, that tells you everything you need to know about what the Republicans are trying to do here. They would rather have this conversation than talk about the fact that they are pushing through a justice who is going to um, uh, uh, be part of a court that could potentially overturn the Affordable Care Act, that could strip away protections for pre-existing conditions, yeah. that could rule on a woman's right well, to choose, we, we that could the, rule on well, equal pay issues. We, yeah, we they, don't wanna, they don't want to defend that. I get it, and we ask Republicans those questions, but, but we get to ask Democrats questions too. And this is a simple, it's a simple question. Uh, and it's one, frankly, that Trump did not invent. It came from the progressives and the Democratic Party. And I, I thought it was odd when Vice President Biden said the other day, uh, in response to a reporter's question, that voters do not deserve an answer on this. Of course voters deserve an answer on his position on every issue. But we're not going to play their game. Well, he's given an answer. He's answered the question. I mean, he has probably answered this question 15 times over the course of the last week. The answer is, I am not going to play Donald Trump's game. I am not going to allow right. the terms of this debate to shift to a hypothetical that assumes, by the way, that we, the Democrats, are going to lose here. I mean, that's, that's really, that's what's at, at the core of this argument they're making. Uh, it assumes that we're going to lose. Vice President Biden doesn't accept that. He does not accept that. He's focused on uh, turning people out to vote, making sure their voice is heard, and making sure that they have a say in who the next Supreme Court justice is. All right. Well, I think a serious policy question is not a game, and I don't think it's Trump's game. But Kate Benningfield, we always appreciate you coming on the show and answering the questions or deftly sidestepping them. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jake. I appreciate it. A coronavirus outbreak is not stopping Senate Republicans from their push to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Will it work? Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono is on the committee. She weighs in next. And welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. If this is even possible, Capitol Hill may feel more partisan this week, more nasty. Tomorrow marks the beginning of the hearings on the nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court. But can Democrats put up a fight without damaging their own political interests? Joining me now, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. Senator Hirono, always good to have you on. Thank you. Good so morning. Republicans are moving full steam ahead with tomorrow's hearing. You have said, quote, the fact of the matter is that Mitch McConnell has the votes, unquote. What are you going to ask Judge Barrett? And is there any way Democrats can stop her confirmation? We are going to be very focused on her state of views on the Affordable Care Act and the reason that the Republicans are so bound and determined to push her through with only about two weeks left before the election and millions of people already voting. They want her on that court to hear the Affordable Care Act case on November 10th, one week after the election, so that she can strike it down. That is her view on the Affordable Care Act. Then I, we will also be focused, I will be focused on her state of views on a woman's right to choose, abortion. So those are the things that I, I, I'll be focused on. This nominee poses a clear and present danger. The immediate danger is to the health care of over 20 million Americans who have health care thanks to the Affordable Care Act, the over 100 million Americans who are protected under the Affordable Care Act uh, because they have pre-existing conditions, mm -hmm. not to mention the 7 million who have tested positive for COVID who will be put into the category of those with pre-existing conditions. But there's nothing so, Democrats can do to stop it, is, is the question. 
Well, if we can get two more brave Republicans to face up to the fact that they are going to be voting on, for somebody who's going to take away the health care of hundreds of thousands of their constituents, if we can get two more Republicans to have that courage, we can stop her. So Judge Barrett uh, has ties to a conservative Christian organization called People of Praise. You have said that her religious beliefs should not be off limits, and you questioned whether her, quote, closely held views can be separated from her, her ability to make objective, fair decisions, unquote. Do you plan to, to raise her faith tomorrow? And, and how can you do that without approaching religious bigotry? Her religion is immaterial, irrelevant. That is what I said. And so that is my position. I am totally focused on what this nominee sitting there as a justice is going to do in striking down the Affordable Care Act. That's what I'm focused on. I'm not going to be asking her questions about her religious views. They're irrelevant. So no one, do you think any Democrats are going to bring up uh, her faith or religious views? <laughs> I think it's the Republicans who are going to be bringing up uh, that particular uh, issue. Why? Because they don't want to face up to the fact, they don't want to tell the American people that they're about to vote, about to vote for a person who's going to take away their health care. Well, just to be fair, in 2017 it was Democrats, when she was up for a different judicial post, mm -hmm. Democrats who brought it up, including uh, Senators Durbin and Feinstein. But you're saying Democrats aren't going to do it this time, okay? Well, actually, yeah. Jake, back then uh, uh, the Chuck Grassley and Ted Cruz also asked about her writing. So the writing of a nominee, that you, you get asked. So we ask. I ask, and okay. that's it. The number of lawmakers infected with coronavirus continues to grow, uh, regrettably. Several Republicans are, are either infected right now or in quarantine. There is no, astoundingly, there is no mandatory pre testing protocol on Capitol Hill. You've been open about your cancer diagnosis, and we're glad, we're glad you're, you're recovering do you feel safe going into the Senate? Do you feel safe walking onto the Senate floor? Well, the fact that Mitch McConnell and uh, uh, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee have not put in place appropriate protocols uh, tells you um, the seriousness with which they regard this virus and its spread. So for my own protection and that of everyone that I come in contact with, I will get a test after I do this interview with you. One last question, Senator. President Trump called Senator Kamala Harris a monster on Fox this week. Uh, he used the term twice. Uh, you and Senator Harris are, are two of only four women of color in the United States Senate. Uh, I've heard some people say that they thought that term was racist, uh, dehumanizing, sexist. Uh, what was your reaction to it? It's typical Trump that he will attack anybody. He calls people's names. So when he can't come up with anything more substantive, he'll just call somebody a name. I mean, he's called me names, so that's the president. And, and, and there's a clear choice, by the way, in this election. Are we going to vote for this unhinged person uh, who is running around in super spreader events, by the way? The irony of a president who's going to spread the virus and Republicans who want to put on the court a person who's going to knock out the Affordable Care Act in the middle of a pandemic, and uh, Joe Biden, who actually wants to get control mm -hmm. over the virus and move us forward, the uh, people who are already voting, I hope they made the right choice based on the fact that this nominee is a threat to their health care, which is, by the way, the number one concern of Americans right now. All right, Senator Maisie Hirono, Democrat of Hawaii, thank you so much for your time sure. today. Good luck at the hearing. Stay safe. As coronavirus <laughs> cases rise across the U.S., Dr. Fauci says he's skipping Thanksgiving with his family. What does that say?
about how he thinks the next few months are going to be. We'll talk to a Republican governor about his state next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Dr. Anthony Fauci is warning Americans we could be in for a tough winter unless we all commit to following strict guidelines on mask wearing and social distancing, which it appears may not be happening. If you look at rising infection rates in places such as Arkansas, which recorded a jump in cases this week. Joining us now, the Republican governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson. Governor Hutchinson, good to see you as always. You said new cases in Arkansas, quote, continue to be too high. Hospitalizations are at record levels. Health experts say things are only going to get worse as people spend more indoors time during the fall and winter. Why do you think the numbers in Arkansas are going in the wrong direction? And how worried are you about what's coming? Well, large part of it is simply the nature of the virus and that if you don't take the uh, right protections, it's going to spread. Uh, secondly, we are doing a record amount of testing, uh, which is the good part of the story. But what you have to watch is the hospitalizations. Uh, it concerns me that you see those rise. We still have capacity, but with the onset of a flu se season, you not only have to follow the guidelines in reference to COVID, everybody needs to get their flu shot. So we're continuing to do everything that we can. The main thing is you take it seriously. And uh, right now we do have capacity, uh, but we're watching it very carefully and taking it seriously every, every day. When you see your citizens uh, participating in day-to-day in -day life, uh, are, they, are enough of them following the guidelines? Are enough of them distancing, wearing masks, abiding by the protocols that you've been pushing? Well, what you said is uh, very important and that they are going about their life activities, whether it is school, uh, whether it is work or whether it is uh, some other activity. Uh, we want that to continue. And one thing that we see not just the United States, but across the globe is that uh, people cannot be shut up for seven months. They've got to live life. But we have to do that with the social distancing. Uh, sure, absolutely, we have a, a football game, but we have a 70,000 uh, capacity stadium with 14,000 people because we can do the social distancing. Okay. Are they doing it enough? I will say that after the White House uh, challenge that we saw and the cases that arose from that event with the president, people are taking it very seriously, even more so than ever, wearing the mask. It is getting better. and We want it to continue to. So Dr. Anthony Fauci called the, the Rose Garden event you just referred to uh, two weeks ago, which infected more than two dozen people. He called it a super spreader. Minnesota health officials say that at least nine people were infected at a Trump rally in September. Um, the president, however, is hitting the campaign trail tomorrow. Uh, Florida, Pennsylvania, Iowa holding rallies. If he wanted to hold a rally in Arkansas the way that he has been doing them, no social distancing, no masks required, would you want your family members to go? Well, they offer masks, they do uh, screening whenever they come to the rallies. Uh, certainly we want to have an engagement in the uh, presidential campaign this year. It is the topic as it should be. But yes, there should not be any mass gathering without social distancing. The social distancing is so important or wear a mask. If you're going to sit next to somebody, wear a mask. And it's, and it's important that we have seen by uh, illustration the challenge of the virus in a spreader event when you don't socially distance. 
we also can utilize this as an example. Uh, in other words, a teaching moment. And that's what uh, I hope that we see in the next uh, few weeks from both campaigns, an example uh, that we can set for the winter because that is the one tool that we have to keep the virus down. Yeah, the thing is they offer masks at those rallies, but they don't require them and most people don't wear them. And the president has obviously been setting an example of not wearing one. Uh, but let's move on to a different topic um, because 13 people have been charged in connection with a plot to, to kidnap uh, one of your gov gubernatorial colleagues, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. Uh, this comes after President Trump repeatedly targeted Governor Whitmer, called on people to liberate Michigan. Governor Whitmer says she considers the president, quote, complicit uh, in the plot. You're the vice chair of the bipartisan or nonpartisan National Governors Association. Has the president's rhetoric against one of your fellow governors, has it gone too far? Well, first, uh, Governor Cuomo and myself uh, issued a statement uh, just supporting uh, Governor Whitmore that uh, in terms of uh, this uh, attack, uh, this plan uh, has uh, no uh, place in civilized society uh, and we in the strongest terms condemn that. Uh, there should not be any connection with the president. Uh, Governor Whitmore should not be uh, uh, making politics out of this. It is a law enforcement issue. Uh, it, uh, you know, in the 80s, uh, I uh, prosecuted as a U.S. attorney, white supremacist group, the radical mm -hmm. right, uh, whether it's uh, anarchist or whether it's a radical right, uh, you stand against it, you enforce the law, you don't make politics out of it. All right, Governor Asa Hutchinson of the great state of Arkansas, thank you so much. Sorry about the game yesterday. Hope to see you soon. All right, thanks, Jake. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo told Fox on Friday that, believe it or not, he's going to follow the president's order and release some of Hillary Clinton's emails. That's right, Hillary Clinton's emails before the election. It's just the latest example of Trump cabinet secretaries bending to the president's will to take nakedly political steps to appease him and apparently to try to aid his reelection. Attorney General Bill Barr is deviating from a 40-year policy that had previously deterred federal prosecutors from, as we approach election day, announcing the launch of investigations after allegations of voter fraud are made. Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe has been releasing information sporadically about the Obama administration, about the Clinton campaign, lacking context, seemingly to try to influence voters. Way behind in the polls, President Trump and his team are using all the tools of government to try to win over voters in these last few days, using your tax dollars to do so. Politico reports that the White House is pushing health officials to send out a letter to 39 million Medicare recipients to let them know that Trump is working to get them drug discount cards. The Agriculture Department is shipping surplus food packages along with mandated self-promoting letters from President Trump, expressing his concern for the recipients. The letters also push voters to wear masks and practice social distancing, which is another clue as to its nakedly political nature because President Trump, who tested positive for the coronavirus recently, has been out there since June holding rallies with no masks or distancing requirements, none. His need to hold these rallies apparently exceeding his concern for those attending them. He's going back on the campaign trail again tomorrow. He originally returned to the campaign trail on June 20th in Tulsa, Oklahoma, here in the audience is 2012 Republican presidential candidate Herman Cain at that very rally. You see there's no masks, no distancing, 
11 days later, Herman Cain checked into the hospital with coronavirus. The Tulsa Health Authority says the rally, quote, likely contributed to a dramatic surge in new cases in that county. On July 30th, Herman Cain died of coronavirus. It's a timeline that health officials tell me is completely consistent with Herman Cain contracting the virus at the Tulsa Trump rally, though, of course, there is no definitive link. Tulsa was hardly the only possible super spreader event that President Trump has hosted. On September 18th, recently, Trump held a rally in Bemidji, Minnesota. Nine folks in attendance have since tested positive, two hospitalized, one in the intensive care unit, according to health authorities in Minnesota. And this was before Trump himself contracted the virus, we believe. Theoretically, he got it at the September 26th Supreme Court event at the White House that Dr. Fauci now calls a super spreader event. Though we do not know for sure that's where Trump got the disease because the White House continues to deny the public basic information about when he last tested negative. One of President Trump's skills during this era has been to behave with so little regard to basic decency, those who try to uphold these standards get accused of being partisan, as if don't behave in a way that's reckless and displays a wanton disregard for human life is somehow now a partisan issue. It isn't. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell just admitted this week that he hasn't gone to the White House in months because of how the president and his team there behave with so little regard for basic safety and health guidelines. President Trump has been a spreader of misinformation about the virus. He's been a leader when it comes to recklessness and reckless behavior about the virus. And now he's determined, apparently, to risk spreading the virus literally. It's no longer just his failure to do everything he can to respect health standards. It's no longer that that has caused the loss of life in a tacit way through failure to act. Trump has likely become, personally, a vector of the disease. We do not know if after he theoretically contracted the virus on September 26th, if he spread it to Ohio September 29th, Minnesota September 30th, New Jersey October 1st. The president's doctor, who has been evasive and has admitted to having previously put a positive spin on the president's condition, released a letter about his health last night that frankly raised more questions than it answered. It neglected to say what symptoms the president may still have, whether he's still on medication. Even if President Trump is not spreading the virus anymore, as the doctor says, he is increasing the likelihood that other Americans will contract it through holding these reckless rallies. As a matter of public health, the president is taking actions that could result in loss of life. And for what? To hear the crowd cheering him on? The president is seemingly indulging ego at the risk of prolonging the pandemic and at the expense of human lives, American lives, the citizens he swore an oath to protect, it needs to stop. History is not going to be kind to the people around the president who are enabling any of this. It is frankly immoral. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. The news is next. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.